Oh, Jesus Christ. James Cameron was married to three women before he was married to Lyndall Hamilton. <laughs> wow. Dude, don't fuck around. Oh. No, no he does. Actually, he does fuck he around. He actually does fuck around quite a bit. He just does it legally and lawfully. <laughs> I want to bang another woman. We must... We must divorce. I will find That's why he always becomes a strong a... female protagonist. It's just to pick up yeah. chicks. Yeah, and uh, and robot milk. <laughs> robot milk? That's not James Cameron. That's uh... oh fuck. Who's that? Tanya Harding? No, it's uh... the other sci-fi director. Ridley Scott. Yes. I, I think I'm gonna brew a beer called Robot Milk. It needs to be like a milk stout. Yeah. yeah, I'm writing that down. That's getting in my that's getting in my list right now. You gonna yep. do a... white white milk stout? You can't. Tell to, tell I have robot or I have Scott. nipples. Fokker, can you milk me? Ridley Scott goes out to his uh, barn every day on his expansive property and milks his robot. <laughs> and he goes home and he bakes please him. let me die or let me go. Kill me. Robot milk. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Botker. Jason. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back, and he brought someone with him. Yeah, that's right. He brought with him a good friend of the podcast, Aaron. Aaron, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Aaron, in case uh, you guys haven't seen it yet, is the co-founder of the YouTube series Taste for Adventure. Uh, I say co-founder. He also does it with uh, Andrew Charles W.S. Uh, Miller here. Um, mm -hmm. I know him. So if you, and we had, you, we had you on not too long ago. You did, yes. I was very fortunate to guest appear on one of your your guys's episodes uh, which was really fun it was if you guys haven't seen it yet it is a sci-fi themed episode of uh, taste for adventure i had an absolute blast doing it in fact uh, some say too much of a blast i think i drank too much you got <laughs> blasted <laughs> not a not a not a hard thing to do on tfa drink no. too much no it was it was it was a good time i really appreciate it we had pizza <laughs> but, uh, so uh aaron and andrew if you guys want um Kind of tell us a little bit about Taste for Adventure. Uh, yeah, sure. So this was kind of uh, my original brainchild kind of coming out of COVID, you know, missing the, you know, casual bar conversation, the social aspect of going out in public and just, you know, chatting with somebody at a bar. And uh, so I texted Miller and I said, hey, I have this idea. Um, I know you have some podcasting experience. Would you want to partner up and do this thing? And just kind of really... Uh, took off from there and uh we're several episodes in now and we have a lot more recorded and a lot more ideas for the future so um it's really a youtube channel dedicated to beer judging tasting and discovery 
Um, I am a home brewer. I'm also a certified beer judge. So we kind of come at it where I'm more like the beer judging tasting expert. Mm-hmm. And Andrew is more like the layman, like, you know, he enjoys craft beer, but he maybe has like a lot to learn, a lot of questions. So um, it's really kind of a channel for anybody if uh, you enjoy craft beer. Yeah, it's been a blast doing um, the show with uh, with Aaron here. It's um, <laughs> we've done some wild ones, uh, ones that are not out yet, uh, ones that will actually not be out until uh, October. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's definitely uh, we've got a lot of fun ones in the pipe, too. So I'm, I'm very eager for uh, where we go with this show. Oh, definitely. Definitely looking forward to it. That sounds great. Uh, Aaron, I love that you said uh, Andrew is a, a layman. Uh, fun fact, mm-hmm. everyone on Sci-Fi Cross-Section is a sci-fi layman. None of us are experts. I'm actually a certified sci-fi judge, so you can just go fuck off. <laughs> I'm a certified layman. <laughs> I'm certifiable. In my card. I might be a certified alcoholic, because I had both of these raspberry ales on my uh, desk, and I accidentally opened both of them. Oh, now you gotta drink both of them. Those look good, you know, too. I like the can. Yeah, we've yeah. all been to a busy bar or a wedding where you actually have to get two beers at once, so... Yeah. Oh, fine. yeah, that's You're true. Fine. Yep. That's uh, that's back in the old uh, Bill Jarvis recording studio days where we all uh, crack our nondescript hard seltzers. All, all, all four at the same time. I'm sorry, yep. all four per mm-hmm. person at the same time. <laughs> correct, correct. Yes. Nice Metazoa shirt, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great brewery. Great, great for the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the non-visual <laughs> medium. <laughs> Viewers, please visit Metazo- Metazoa Brewing. Well, I was admiring your uh, Star Wars shirt as well, Mark, so... Wow, look at you guys. Who, who me? Mm-hmm. Me? Wow. Oh, as long as we're doing it, me and Bill are syncing up on the yeah. black. Oh my god, I didn't wow. even realize. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, you look Blackhawks too? Jason, no, Jason are you as sweaty as I am? I think Jason's as sweaty as I am. It's like confetti shirt from Target. Wow, get out. It's like white and gray and black. You got that deep V. Apparently, Jason actually. I knew this, uh, but he does not actually believe. It's actually against his beliefs to actually um, wear any sort of logo, design, message on his shirt. Uh, he believes that he is the message, so his shirt should be uh, blank so they can focus on him. You wow. got it. Thank you. <laughs> That's a big statement. He is the message. Wow. I feel like I've heard that before. Six vegan. That would be okay. the only the only thing I would get. to cast a shadow. Yeah, the only logo I'd get on my shirt actually would say, I am the message. Or, nice. or I am the logo. Nice. So. That'll be uh, the first uh, sci-fi cross-section shirt I hear. I haven't, gotten a, I haven't gotten a shirt with my picture on it, so I should probably invest in that. We've had that like we, four or five opportunities for great shirts, like patent-pending level, like, you know, great catchphrases and stuff, and we've never capitalized on it. So at some point, we definitely have we'll to. We'll get there. We'll get back there. We'll get back there. In fact, if anything, we could just do the, uh, you know, Colin ampersand, uh, Bill ampersand, Mark ampersand. People love that yeah, shit. Yeah, people buy that shit up, man. I see it all over the place. There you go. Okay, we have so, at least five sales right here. <laughs> so the reason we are I'm not buying that shit. Here, <laughs> each of my dogs, each of my dogs will buy one, and then there I'll get <laughs> my aunties to buy one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, those those dog royalties coming in like hotcakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I love how we start this whole episode way off the rails. I love it. Yep. That's 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 how it goes. Anyways, so the reason we are here today um, is to cover a very specific movie that was actually a request of our guest here, 
Aaron, uh, which is Terminator 2, or T2 for you heathens, uh, Judgment Day. Aaron, why did we cover this movie? Well, I got to tell you, you know, T2 Judgment Day made sense. It's Judgment Day. I'm a beer judge. But also, uh, <laughs> it's my favorite film. It's it's not even my favorite sci-fi film, my favorite action film, my favorite Arnold film. It is my favorite film of all time. And I noticed, uh, you know, as a, as a listener of uh, this podcast that you guys have done T1, you've done T3, but you haven't done my favorite film. <laughs> and I think inarguably the best film of the series, T2. So I was just, you know, helping you to write this like, you know, mm-hmm. this wrong. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that we saved it for you. Cause I'm going to fucking drag this movie. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, exactly. not, no one can. I'm yes. not kidding. I will counter punch you so hard no. on this. We can go. No, no, no. Funny, funny thing. We've covered, uh, we covered what? T seven. Yeah. T one. <laughs> whatever t- the latest thing was. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, uh, whatever the, uh, the reboot was. They're almost up to T 1000 starring Robert Stack. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yep. Um, yep. We're going to talk about it later, but the latest one we actually watched is probably the only direct sequel to T2, realistically. That's true. So, yep, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I guess is. it is fitting that we do this now. It's almost like we were fated to do this because we definitely oh. skirted around it. However, I will say- Dark we, fated. We have talked about this movie at length on those other Terminator podcasts, but yeah. now we're really going to get into it. Um, for all you listeners, just know that to us, all of us, this movie is infallible, so- yes <laughs> um, just bear with us we're not going to tear this thing apart oh bill's shaking his head bill is ready to fucking <laughs> no. you gonna drag uh, bro okay so uh let me just give you guys the numbers real quick so terminator 2 judgment day was written and directed by james cameron i'm sorry also written by william wisher uh yeah, I guess we'll go with that. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, and Robert Patrick. And introducing Edward Furlong. And introducing Edward Furlong. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh boy. Anyways, um He went he went far. His star was pretty meteoric, right? <laughs> Is more I mean, like I'll a meteorite. Cricket chirping there. It's more like a meteorite. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. I mean, honestly, I yeah. like I said, the Crow Five was great. I think it wasn't quite as good as Crow Three. Didn't have the production values of Crow One, but uh, it, it definitely also, was have something. Also, the social media presence that Crow Seven had, but no. Um, so Terminator Two: Judgment Day. The budget was. It says between ninety-four and one hundred and two million. So I guess we'll just kind of bump that around ninety-eight somewhere around <laughs> it's a there. Casual eight million dollar buffer. <laughs> no big deal. Just just a casual. I'm never gonna make this amount of money buffer. <laughs> yeah, real casual. Does anyone want to know what the box office was? I, uh, you know, I would like to hazard a guess of about five hundred twenty point nine million dollars. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what the movie made. It was five hundred and twenty. You remember that knife joke, Bill? Yeah, 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 yeah. nine million boys. That is like that's a lot of money. tripling the fucking no. What, what is it? Quint, quintupling? Quintupling. Yes. Yep. Quintupling the fucking budget math. there, man. It's a lot of propeller heads. Uh, holy shit! Yeah, uh, above the quintuple. So that is fantastic. That is what you want to see out of a sci-fi uh, movie. However, 
this is more than just a sci-fi movie. Bill. Yes. What is this movie about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Set 11 years after The Terminator, young John Connor, the key to civilization's victory over a future robot uprising, is the target of the shape-shifting T-1000, a Terminator sent from the future to kill him. Another Terminator, the revamped T-800, has been sent back to protect the boy. As John and his mother go on the run with the T-800, the boy forms an unexpected bond with the robot. John Connor is a kid who just can't catch a break. In this summer film, Uncle Bob, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, teams up with John to take on his bully, the T-1000. This summer, learn the power of friendship to change your fate. <laughs> Crush it. It's Terminator 2, Judgment Day! Oh wait, no, no. <laughs> it's Terminator 2, Judgment Day! <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. So, hey, buddy. Turns out all you need to make a successful sequel is Robert Patrick. Who would have known? Honestly. Um, but no. So, I think we say Edward Furlong. Yeah. I mean, Wayne's World did it. <laughs> Wayne's World did it. So, yeah. Definitely right. Edward Furlong. He also replaced uh, Mulder in The X Files. So, he did. Nice. He did do that. He did. Yeah. The that's dude is just up. really good for sequels. He's, yeah. He's perfect. Mm-hmm. My defunct, my now defunct X Files podcast is crying out in pain for that. Uh, well, um, sorry, I got distracted there for a second. Okay, so yeah, Terminator Two, the sequel to Terminator. Um, holy shit, this is like the quintessential. Uh, the the first one had a little bit of success. This was okay. People enjoyed it. People went to go see it. Let's up the budget by like fucking eighty million dollars, and just. Uh, Take it for round two. And honestly, Aaron, you said this is, you know, your favorite movie of all time. Favorite film. Yeah. I, oh, sorry, favorite film. So, well, yeah, I don't, I don't need favorite. to put words in your mouth. No, by no. Saying, you movie, know, film, whatever. Yeah. Um, we, don't, we don't talk about movies on this podcast, okay? We're all certified experts. Sorry. <laughs> I'm also I'm a certified layman, but. Um, we, we talk about films, Colin. No, but. <laughs> Films. Uh, you were gone for uh, a dark period in sci-fi cross sections, Jason. We just covered a lot of shit. Um, yeah, yeah. Week after week, film does not fit the budget there. But um, man, I can, I can, I think speak for all of us right now when I say that this movie. Wow, man, it, we grew up with it. It's the only way to, to say that. I remember so many nights at two in the morning when I refused to go to sleep, so I snuck back out to the living room and I turned on USA. And goddamn, if they're not playing Terminator 2, and I'm just going to yeah. sit down, uh, drink chocolate milk, uh, do things I shouldn't be doing, and just watch Terminator 2. Sorry, this movie this movie means <clears throat> so much more than it did to me then, though. And I didn't realize it because I hadn't watched it in a long time. Um, maybe a, a decade at least. At least. And I, I couldn't believe how different the movie was you know as a near 30 year old i guess uh from like a young teenager 
it like everything about the movie is way different and the lens that i'm viewing it through is different you know I, it, I totally still... agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it's been my favorite film since the first time I saw it. And I was probably in, you know, eighth grade. I didn't see it when it came out in theaters. I was a little, t- you know, a little too young when it came out in theaters. But I, you know, I remember riding my bike to the video rental store, literally picking it up on VHS um, and watching it. And then I immediately rewatched it. And it just, it blew my mind. And I had not seen Terminator 1. I was not familiar with really anything. I just, uh, that movie really like made a lasting impression on me. And now I totally agree with you, Mark, like viewing it again now, you know, through a little bit more of a critical lens, it, you know, I'm picking up different things. It means different things to me, but it's still, it's still a great movie. And honestly, there's a lot of things that I kind of take for granted now that I had to kind of like back myself off of. Cause like I saw a lot of things that were just like, even the concept of artificial intelligence and the concepts of, you know, like, you know, the, the sci-fi sci-fi, um, time travel and like the conundrums that come with it and the sort of like road that it paved for people to, you know, go with storytelling. And so it's like, there were a lot of things that I just kind of like took for granted, didn't even really think about because it's been there my whole childhood, but really this was kind of like a paradigm shift in the action movie. And so it's like in the whole genre. So it's like, it was really cool to sort of like realize that while watching this now. I think you mean a cyberdyne shift. Oh, <laughs> oh. I, I will say something. I I always definitely considered it an action movie. Uh, watching this time, it this movie has so many skins. It wears so many costumes that it, it's almost like a horror movie disguised as an action movie. Mm-hmm. And it like it blew me away. Just at, the longer the movie went on, the more things they just kept piling on but they all felt natural they all fit like they this movie tackles so much and none of it feels like ham-fisted in you know i've always had a really interesting relationship with the terminator franchise specifically terminator one and two because i remember um probably like the mid 90s maybe 97 98 i would say you know, my parents had this big old school TV stand, right? It was like one of the ones where you'd put your big ass CRT TV in it and it weighed like the stand weighed like 3000 pounds because the TV weighed 1000 pounds and you had to have something that would hold it, you know, that type of thing. And I remember there was one of those like drawers on the bottom that would pop out and they kind of had like their movie collection down there. It was all the VHSs. And there was this, you know, a bunch of John Wayne movies and stuff me and my mom was into and whatever. Lethal but then I went through three, of course. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. All the yeah. Lethal Weapon movies. But then there was the one movie that was in there and it just had this really cool box art and it was the Terminator, right? An original VHS copy of the Terminator. And I remember asking my dad, like, oh, what's this? And, you know, I'm kind of explaining it to me, whatever. And then we had this thing that we did, and that was like probably the the a good chunk of the mid to late '90s for me, especially with my dad, where he would just like introduce me to all this shit that I was not ready <laughs> for, <laughs> whether it be video games, movies, whatever. So I remember watching Terminator One and being absolutely fucking horrified. You know, I'm watching that movie, six years old, whatever, like just not not ready for it. And just thematically, the whole idea of like this, you know, robots kind of taking over the world and killing all the humans just screwed me up. Right. But what was interesting was I really loved the movie. 
And I've always found that I'm uh, I'm drawn to things that maybe I'm initially like afraid of or they aren't necessarily like my bag. So like I found myself just fascinated by this idea of, you know, a machine uprising or an artificial intel- intelligence and us as uh, a society or as a civilization creating something that would ultimately like lead to our destruction. So I remember um, the first time I watched Terminator 2 was during one of those free Back in the day, I would see if we're all dating ourselves, right? But see if you guys remember this. Remember, so I never had like the premium cable channels, but every once in a while they do like the free weekends where like you get free HBO <laughs> and free stars. Do you guys remember that? They still do oh, that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I remember I had like free HBO in like 1998 and they played Terminator 2. And I was just like, what is this? It was so good. And then I remember a buddy that lived on the same street as me when I was growing up had the VHS copy. And I remember watching it and just being absolutely blown away. And it's kind of crazy because the film came out the same year I was born. So, I mean, as as Terminator 2 keeps hitting milestones, right? It's 30 years old. Well, I'm 30 years old too. So, it's kind of like growing up with the film. I think as we said at the, the beginning, uh, we started talking about everything. It really has grown with us. But like for me, I feel like it's, it's crazy because I watched that movie and it's like instantly a time capsule. Like I know I wasn't cognizant in 91, but you can totally see like that it's of an era. I feel like it does date itself in some ways, but in other ways it's kind of remained this timeless film, you know? So, I mean, that's just kind of my like first memories of getting into the Terminator franchise and just kind of what it represented for action cinema and sci-fi cinema and just big budget spectacles. Um, just was immediately drawn to it as I think we probably all were. Yeah. I I think it's really, it's really indicative of the nineties, you know, John Connor and, uh, the kid from uh, probably Pete and Pete or Salute, uh, your, salute shorts. your Shorts. He was from Salute yeah, Your was, Shorts. Yeah, was Salute Your Shorts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? The awful waffle kid. Yeah. Um, you talking about but the, it's the crazy mullet, mullet man? Yeah, the yeah, red-haired mullet, mullet, mullet boy. boy. <laughs> he was from. He was like kind of the the punk. He yeah. played exactly the same character in this Nickelodeon He's typecast show, for all eternity in the 90s. He's still playing yeah, that same character now. Actor. Yeah. He's, he's but, 50. Yeah, it's you know, they're they're riding around in the moped in California. They're at the arcade. They're listening to fucking Guns N' Roses, who was the, probably the biggest L.A. band at the time. So, I mean, yeah, it really does date itself. But I, I feel like the um, I feel like the thesis of the whole movie is timeless. You know, you're 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 essentially talking about what it means to be human. You know, it's a, it's a topic we've treaded on this show probably dozens of times at this point, what it truly means to be human. And if a robot can do, if a robot can figure out what it means to be human, you know, there's still hope for us all. Um, Terminator three, notwithstanding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I love that. It's a, it's a question they broach, but you know, over 30 years, I feel like they dealt with it better than watching it now. I mean, those were not the themes that I was picking up on when I was watching it at ten or no. You were 14. watching a you were watching a truck chase a motorcycle down the the that that famous uh, aqueduct. Yeah, right. And but, then the motorcycle overtaking it. Yeah. There was a lot to. I mean, there was a lot to process, process to actually take like a critical view. You know, when this first comes mm-hmm. out, there was a lot to process. Like I said, it introduced a lot of elements that we weren't even really used to seeing. So, well, yeah. and like. You know, think this movie was pre-internet. You know, like 
anymore yeah, you're was... like oh you know yeah, like ai like these types of like ideas are you know we've heard them we've been exposed to them but this was this was before the internet this was before you know aol this was before any of that so it was radically different time with people's relationship with technology when this film came out and i think that goes to show like james cameron's brilliance and like his like foresight as like a futurist like he knew that's where we were going before anybody else did Mm -hmm. yeah totally i mean that was kind of the point i was gonna make too with james cameron i mean he gets a lot of shit, but James Cameron truly is like a brilliant filmmaker. He really is. Because if you look back, I mean, just apart from kind of his, I guess, uh, him being a known quantity in the industry where he can kind of take a franchise. And obviously he was involved in Terminator from the beginning, but he can take a franchise and kind of bring it to that next level of, uh, you know, alien to aliens. And it's this blockbuster action, whatever. But the thing that I, I think I respect so much about James Cameron It'd probably be multifold. It would be one that he pushes the technology, and I think he always has. He definitely did in Terminator 2, and I think he would go on to do that in all his subsequent films. But also that it was he had he he i feel like any project he takes on any project he writes any project he directs he almost takes this kind of childlike enthusiasm for like trying to cram as many themes and ideas and things as he can in there. But to his credit, it doesn't ever feel like he's just throwing pizza at the wall and seeing what will stick you know it always seems like he he does that but he does it in a way where i feel like he gets away with it just because he's so earnest with it if that makes sense that's always been kind of my view of james cameron so i i don't know i always i I give him that like hey man you know this is a lot of stuff and you're kind of cramming a lot of things in here and not all of them necessarily work but he just attacks it with such enthusiasm i feel like it's kind of infectious when you watch his movies so you know, we might have talked about this before, but the one thing I love about James Cameron is he's not like a crazy, uh, prolific director who just does like a fuck ton of things. The dude's only done 10 like actual uh, feature films. That blew my mind. I, I checked the wiki and I was like, what? what? Yeah, no, he's done more stuff about that. it. I mean, he everything he does is great because he doesn't just like. Let's move on to the next movie. One, two, three. You know, he just he takes his time and he actually does a good film. Um, I mean, we go from the Terminator, did the Aliens sequel, uh, the Abyss, Terminator Two. You know, uh, he did True Lies. I know Bill is a real big fan of True Lies. I don't know. I just made it's a great movie. Um, <laughs> it is. No, it, it is. is. It's, it's, a, great it's movie. a fun movie. I love that movie. Yeah. And Titanic. What? Shit. And yeah. then yeah, and then Avatar. Came in like what two thousand nine? Oh so nine. The yeah. dude like literally only does Still exceptional seen work. It. Uh, unless no, you want to count Piranha Two: The Spawning as yeah, hell yeah. I don't know. Fuck yeah. That was that was cutting his teeth though. I mean, he you got to start somewhere. So yeah. I I mean I was gonna say I mean the, the I mean the thing and we're just gonna do a James Cameron love fest right now. But I really really <laughs> love that like whatever he does it's kind of like the tom cruise effect where like whatever he does it's he's going to do it extremely intense like and you're gonna feel that when you experience his art and so it's like 
And then, like, there were things like, you know, like with Titanic, he was like, I want to go to the bottom of the ocean. I'm going to make a movie. Like, and it's like, that's what he wanted to do. That's what his passion is. And he follows it and he, like, leans way into it. And it's like, I don't know. It's kind of really cool to to see someone, like you said, that doesn't just do filler. He does what he's passionate about. And if he's not doing something he's passionate about, he's not doing anything, you know, or he's going to be doing something completely different. So, yeah. I think he's finally kind of hung the hat on directing, right? Because now he's just producing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I so. I think Avatar was the last one he directed, and now he's just going to produce all Well, he's films. doing... He's working on Avatar 2 and 3, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. So I, he's, he's not directing those, five. Right? I'm pretty sure he is. thought he was. Yeah, we can check it, but I think that was like... The, the projects now he's taking on, They're they're so technologically kind of advanced and and um you know there's so much to them that you know that that slowed him down significantly uh just as far as you know because as bill said that's kind of what he wants to do he's all in on it so you know he's not necessarily working on uh drafting up the script and and worried about directing the next terminator you know alien whatever movie maybe he's got hands in those perspective cookie jars but it seems like uh the uh Avatar sequels are really kind of his bread and butter here for the next decade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? You are right. He mm-hmm. is doing yeah. Avatar uh, mm-hmm. 2 and 3. So And 4 and 5 on the IMDb. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> right. There you go. And then they jump I'll to 10 for I some reason. <laughs> I believe Just kidding. I see it. I think Mark had, a, Mark had a point, and then uh, we should probably not uh, continue stroking uh james cameron's ego mm-hmm. <laughs> it's already too big probably get into the actual quality of the movie you're right yeah. so now let's talk about edward furlong no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's not talk about it which in dark fate they featured edward furlong with a propeller hat so that's that's good if you could change your dark fate if you could change your dark fate it's just my boo sorry wait was he actually in dark fate no no, no, they just, uh, they come, uh, they, computer facsimile was. They used mm-hmm. his likeness when he was a kid. Okay. No, I'm, fact, I'm saying like it would be better. He was in <laughs> no. three, right? No, they he wasn't in anything. No, mm-hmm. no, it was some other man. Zane Malik. They were like, "Hey, Edward, you want to come back?" Oh, wait, never mind. Let's just get Christian Bale. Give me a bigger <laughs> lolly. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, if, if uh, you know, the horrible CGI on the um, John Connor face that they tried to hide with filters, I feel, I still feel if they got Edward Fulong in stockings and a propeller hat with a lolly, they could have pulled it off. <laughs> Dude, that actor. <laughs> Little John Connor, age uh, 43. <laughs> I, there's something I want to say about his age two in this movie. <laughs> as well there's a there's a weird fact he's supposed to be 10 how, how old is he supposed he's, he's supposed, supposed to be 10 he's supposed, he's supposed to be 10, 10. Yeah. and, he's, and they, they got him he's and they got him when he was like 14. and they got him when in like mid puberty and at 14 yeah, he's, and he's, i'm like he's, def, he's definitely smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and driving a car to, to work yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the yeah. goofy things i found yeah <laughs> they just kind of don't mention the dates as much <laughs> yeah they do say that yeah. he's 10 like once or twice in the film in the movie and like i have an 11 year old and she acts nothing like that and i feel like none of her peers she's she's years off from like 
driving a dirt bike and screaming, yeah, fuck the authorities, and like yeah. driving to the yeah. arcade. To be fair, Zoe has had a much different upbringing. John Connor is supposed to have this, this crazy <laughs> upbringing where, like, yeah, these guns are nothing new to me. I thought people were like this. You know? yeah. Yeah. Well, physically, yeah, he, physically yeah, he, he just that. looks different. I'm just saying. Like, he's, he's just yeah. like, there's a huge yeah, difference yeah. between 10 and 14. What? There's a lot yeah. that goes on there. <laughs> She's supposed to be 29, they said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they no, said 29. I, She's, I'm that's 29. a haggard 29. Which is fair. Yeah. I've seen, I mean, I feel like going through what she's gone through, 29 is okay. Like, sure. super, like, yeah. And, like, well, Linda, I mean, yeah, Linda Hamilton, I. I, when I originally saw this as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, she's like 40 years old. And, like, then I go back and they say 29, and I'm like, yeah. I, is she pretty oh, ripped, man. though. I mean, she, she was in good shape. She's yeah, she's jacked, man. Um, mm -hmm. I do, I do appreciate like they do so much with that age dynamic, where they they kind of like play with their their character roles a lot. That I I really enjoyed. I do, I do not remember this at all because again, as a as a younger audience, it was just oh they pulled a shotgun out of the flower thing and <laughs> oh man the car chase. <laughs> Like there's so much more to this movie now, watching it again, and I lo I love how his role shifts so much between mm -hmm. almost being like a pseudo adult and being a kid constantly. He's he's playing adult at certain points and like being the voice of reason in weird ways, uh, mm -hmm. and it like they counterplay it. He's hacking an ATM. You're like, wow, that's really that's really crazy. She get, you know he mentions how many skills she like bred into him in a weird way. And he's like hacking an ATM and stealing money. You're like, wow, that's really cool. And he's he's so young to be tuning up his his uh, dirt bike and riding it around. And then he like they spend the money at the arcade, <laughs> like. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then he's like teasing these older guys because he has all this power now. All of a sudden, and it, it's like, no, 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 don't kill them. You can't kill them. Like he he's constantly flipping between wanting attention from his mother and. Mm -hmm. consoling her when she you know is breaking down and like there's there's so many cool character dynamics in this movie that i really enjoy and no. i i do i love like seeing the way that she she raised him with this image of what she had to do to prepare him for his role in a way that every parent has to do for their kid mm. and, the, and the like how much it it like fucks up his life but also like does actually prepare him for the situations that mm -hmm. are coming they're passing him guns that he's loading in the back of the car <laughs> while they're fighting for their life and it saves him and you're like oh man just 30 minutes ago i was thinking how fucked up it was that she was doing these things to him and like teaching him these things and he's literally using these skills right now to save humanity like yeah it's really interesting i just want i wanted to come back to that after aaron Okay, Aaron, before you go, I just want to say, Mark, uh, I just want you to know that there are parents in this country that literally teach their kids how to use guns like that, uh, and that <laughs> younger than that. So just, yeah, um, I, yeah. anyways, <laughs> Aaron, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Jason's no, one of them. Just to, just to you know, build more off of, of Mark, and, and um, I, I really found that, especially in this viewing more like as an adult, so interesting where... John was the adult and the Terminator was the child. 
you know, you, you talked about the scene where he's teasing like these, like, you know, sort of biker guys, like, eh, get lost douchebag or whatever. Um, then the Terminator is going to kill those guys. Right. And John stops him. And then it's this classic like conversation with a toddler where why? Uh, why? he's like, I can't, why, why? You can't kill people. I, and, and then why? John now but that one like, has, to an- has to answer this. And it's a total role reversal where the child answering this adult looking person, like this like constant why, why, why? So I, I totally agree that, you know, it's maybe he's 10. Maybe he's 15, but he was made to grow up much faster because of his mm-hmm. upbringing and this robot's like lack of indoctrination into actual humanity other than knowing that he needs to protect it. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's the eternal struggle when you've had to grow up too fast as a child, because that makes me think of the scene where they just break Sarah out of the mental institution and um, she's saying, you shouldn't have come for me. You know, you're, you're too important for that. And he's in the back seat, and Arnold looks back, and he's like, "What do you? What is wrong with your eyes?" And he's like, "Nothing." And he's got to portray this like tough exterior, but he's crying, and that's when you remember, "Oh shit, he's a kid." You know, he's six years old. He's, uh, uh. he's, a, he's a kid, <laughs> and he's reading his he's reading his Terminator book. And Aaron, to kind of piggyback off of what, what you're saying, um, he's teaching that he's an adult, and he's or acting as an adult, he's teaching the Terminator how to be more human. But at the same time, um, this is a, a kid that grew up without a father figure. Um, his right. mother tried a lot of times to bring a sort of male influence into his life, and they all fail. And, you know, she even does the monologue of, like, this is the one time mm-hmm. where, like, this works. He's always going to be there for him, you know, all that. Like, do all those – facilitate all of those fatherly roles for John. Um, so – uh, so it's definitely like a symbiotic relationship that uh, John Connor has with the Terminator. So, Watching John with the machine, it was suddenly so clear. The Terminator would never stop. It would never leave him. And it would never hurt him, never shout at him or get drunk and hit him or say it was too busy to spend time with him. It would always be there and it would die to protect him. Of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. In an insane world, it was the sanest choice. Well, I wanted to come back to to Mark and Aaron and everything. It's like there's this turn that happens that's just insane. Like, so you have, you know, you have Sarah Connor that has to be the hard-ass preparing her child for an unfair future an unfair expectation you know and it's it's totally unfair to expect this sort of thing from in character 10 year old um and uh and one of the things that i wanted to say was there's this turn that really got me now that i never even really remembered before which is and i i don't know if everybody knows what i'm going to talk about but like when they get into when they when she tries to assassinate dyson and he and they get into the house and she realizes that she's looking at a family and she realizes that they're begging for their lives and it kind of takes everything back and she's like she's been this hyper focused sort of i have to save the world and then it brings out to i'm a human being and i see these people love each other and i'm no better than a machine if i do this you know so it's like i'm not a terminator 
I'm a human being. And then John comes in and he starts taking care of her and nurturing her, you know, saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to help you. I'm going to fix you. Are you okay? I want to help you. And she breaks down and says, I love you. I've always loved you. And like, that was something Mm -hmm. I never caught before. And that hit me extremely hard when you see like a parent that's been a hard ass, never, ever expressed pretty much any love to her child and then breaks down. I love you. I've always loved you. And it's kind of like the only thing that John wanted out of life. And it's really interesting to see that there and something I never, ever even realized was there before. Right, right. It might be to, uh, sorry, Mark, really quick. It might be because uh, if, if, if you're, if you guys watched the same kind of uh, quality version I did, I had to turn the subtitles on. It's something I always do, but the audio was really weirdly mixed. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible you actually just never, I never heard, heard, it. heard that exchange, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, right. Yeah. You're, you're up, Mark. Yeah. That, that scene was really powerful. As I was talking about the like role, role dynamics earlier, she is literally, you know, crawling backwards to get away from the Terminator when she sees it. But she embodies the Terminator in that scene like she she sets out with this mission in mind and that's all she's going to do is to to save humanity kill this man and she's doing it with such cold precision until that moment where she breaks down like it, it's a, it's a really powerful scene and then yeah he comes in and and acts as such an adult again you know there's so many interesting roles in this movie and really the like i'm i'm surprised how well the characters are written in this movie for being a quote-unquote action film you know <laughs> uh, everyone has so much like dynamic character points to them it's really impressive so um you know speaking of the sort of the breakout scene one thing that i i hadn't really picked up on as much before but i did this time was they didn't rescue her from that asylum. She was breaking out on her own. And I thought that was fantastic. Absolutely. And, you know, she she is a super heroine. She was not a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Like she she had a plan. And one thing that really like stood out to me is like when she's flipping out on that psychiatrist, like she had like this moment of clarity. And, um, you know, she's watching herself going crazy from like two weeks before or whatever. And I think she went from this like super like the machines are going to kill us all. We got to do whatever to like finally realizing this is not the, the tactic that I've been taking for 10 years got me here. And now I need to change my tactic and become a lot more. Well, tactical and intelligent about it. And once she switched that, she realized that she was able to get out on her own because she was being really intelligent. And it just so happened that they collided. But I think it was really important for us to see that switch in her character to understand the groundwork that they laid with like this cachet of weapons in the desert. Like you didn't need much more exposition because you just realized that she's been on a mission for the last 10 years. But now she is is so much more focused and more intelligent about it instead of just being like this guns blazing gung ho like crazy mm-hmm. person. So Dude, I thought that was really really yeah. interesting. That cachet. You get to that point. Yeah, I was gonna say you get to that point and you're like, it's believable. Oh, 
of course she has a minigun. <laughs> yeah, that cachet thing was another moment of, uh, oh, this is just a, you know, 90s action movie moment where they, they roll up on the guy who has the goods. <laughs> and, like, that was all it meant to me at that the last time I watched this movie. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, they, they got their cache of guns. And it, mm-hmm. it literally now is, holy shit, she's gone this far to prepare for this. They've got her cache of guns. Mm-hmm. Right, but like it, it was believable, and you didn't need the oh, expedition yeah. to find out why she got the guns or how she got the guns. Like they made it very believable without just drowning you in exposition. And I, I think this movie did that so so well on a lot of different ways, but especially with Sarah Connor and and kind of explaining what they did between. 1984 and 1991. <laughs> I uh, I wanted to say one thing. Um, okay, so there's this voiceover that happens when she's explaining that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is his new stepdad. Um, so uh, <laughs> was that in the original? Because I don't remember that. It was that that was in the original, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. I guess I think it had to have been. Yeah, because I. Yeah, it must have. Because I I am because yeah as a kid I did not even process that and like I think as a father of two now I appreciate it way more you know that sort of idea of uh you know protecting your children and that being the most important thing even over your own happiness and so it's like this is kind of like like her role in this movie is kind of resonates a lot with uh you know the compromises that you make as a parent it's very interesting to kind of make that realization about kind of this action blockbuster from 1991 or whatever you know I think it's also important to note that the movie actually takes place in 94. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why he's 10. Yeah. Cause the movie, the original comes yeah. out in uh, 80, 84, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think something yeah. like so, that. Yeah. Wait. Yes. It comes out. Mm-hmm. In- I, I did the math 84. when we covered, um, I did the math when we covered uh, Terminator one. He did the math. Yeah. Sci-fi is always math, believable then. when you put it a little bit in the future. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jason, go ahead. <laughs> Anything can happen. <laughs> yeah, one of the big things I wanted to touch on with Terminator 2 uh, in specific, and I thought it was actually kind of uh, fitting. A lot of this stuff, it's been kind of weird the way we've been doing the podcast lately, but it's like a lot of these themes kind of carry over. So, like, what I'm going to touch on now kind of brings me back to last week with Quiet Place 2. But um, it, it's the idea of continuity, especially in these big kind of franchise pieces. And what I thought was so cool about Terminator 2 is that the sense of continuity from Terminator 1 to Terminator 2 is so strong, even with, you know, actual, um, you know, chronological time difference there from Terminator 1 coming out in the 80s to Terminator 2 coming out in the 90s. But I think it, it kind of says a lot about the people involved, both James Cameron and obviously a large chunk of the cast kind of returning um, years later. But just even with the story setup, a lot of the things we're talking about, uh, about kind of um, things that were expressly kind of told to us, but also things that were just kind of left to put together on our own in terms of, well, what's happened in the last decade? Uh, What path has Sarah Connor been on? You know, what was John Connor's upbringing like? I I just thought like they didn't necessarily tell us every detail, but the way that they kind of set a lot of this stuff in motion or kind of handle the world building, you really did get that sense that like, okay, cool. I'm picking up on just the next chapter of this story. 
And I feel like a lot of films, a lot of sci-fi films struggle with that, especially when they're part of like an overarching franchise. But what was interesting to me is um, even with the Terminator films that subsequently would come after Terminator 2, they always just felt so disjointed and disconnected. And I feel like that's why you you still look back and and there's this kind of holy grail effect of Terminator 1 and, and I think probably even larger since Terminator 2 because it was done so well with such attention to detail. And you, like we see that in a lot of films. I think Alien, Aliens, you know, um, you can look at who was involved in that one and it makes sense too, right? But like I think we see that there as well. Um, and that was kind of a continuity thing that uh, they weren't really able to nail going into three and four and all the other films that have come out. Um, even when you brought in the original creatives with uh, like uh, Covenant, you know, and just kind of how that kind of tanked and, and just didn't quite do it. And, you know, it's arguable to say like with Dark Fate, um, you had some of the original players involved uh, cast wise and also on the creative side and it didn't quite do it. But um, I think that's one of the reasons to me Terminator 2 is such a special film is that just every step of the way that attention to detail was um, you know, highlighted and really focused on and nothing was kind of glossed over. And I think that's why we have such a rich universe and look back at those two films and they seem, uh, as I think I said, probably with Mass Effect, right? Um, they seem a lot bigger than they are or a lot more expansive than they are because a lot of that is taking place in our collective minds, right? We're building that world out just based on these breadcrumbs that we have. Well, I, I also wanted to go on that because <clears throat> as the franchise in general, there there should be, and it doesn't exist anymore, but there should be this idea of our future is what we make it, which was, you know, a theme from one and two, you know, our future is what we make it is this huge thing that gets kind of um, corrupted as we go into three and salvation and all of that. And then we kind of like reboot it with dark fate and we kind of go along the same lines. And I personally, as kind of just like a movie to watch, I like dark fate. Um, you know, it's not like, I feel like it's not, you know, the ground moving Terminator two. I don't think anything can be that with this franchise. I mean, nothing can be that it's just hard. It's, it's not even like, I, I don't even consider it like a, a good idea. Um, and so like, and so like, you know, you see this overarching idea of the future is what we make it. And then it just kind of gets tossed out on the number three that was trying to be a blockbuster. So, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I will. I will defend Dark Fate. Like you, you make it sound like you're almost guilty for liking his movie, but I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was, it was so cool. Movie. And I thought it was, it was a so way cool. better sequel to T2 than any of the other Terminator movies were. So. I thought it kind of had that cool like looper effect where, you know, he tracked down exactly where they were going to appear and just blasted them away when he found them, which wasn't exactly shown on screen. But as he described it, I was like, oh, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> no looper spoilers. Please. Okay. I haven't seen you got it. You got it. Years. Well, it's yeah, at the beginning of the movie. Whenever, whenever that movie came out. <laughs> can, we, can we watch looper? No, yeah, looper, um, I, I've never seen it. I, I don't want to distract us too much, but I wanted to see Looper so bad when it first came out, and somehow I never have. <laughs> so that's the uh, movie with uh, Bruce Willis, right? Yeah, Joseph Bruce Gordon. Gordon, 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 Gordon. Uh, so I get that yeah. and Jumper mixed up all the time with uh, Hayden Christensen. Yeah. So. You, right. you should see the crossover yeah, Lumper. From that ledge, my friend. Lumper is actually very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Juicer is pretty good, too. Oh, I have I have seen that one, Miller. The quadrilogy is complete. Oh, no. <laughs> With the addition of Juicer. The Juicerverse. The Juicerverse is my favorite. <laughs> the Juicerverse, right, yeah. Oh, no. 
And Sam Jackson ties it all together. Okay. <laughs> he was in Looper, right? Or Jumper. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know Jumper, if he was in either of those. Very, very different movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. That's all part of the juicer verse. Wish you, yeah. He was. Okay. He yeah. was in Jumper. That's true. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. <laughs> all right, Aaron. Go ahead. All right. So, um... I gotta say, as far as like taking control of your fate, I found the way this movie was broken up was fascinating watching it more mm-hmm. with a critical eye now, where it felt like so you know, you know, films typically have a three act structure, right? Like there's you know, the first act, second act, third act. And to me, it was like the first act and the third act were both chase films, and it was the T one thousand coming after John Connor. But then you don't see the liquid metal T-1000 the entire center middle of the film. Mm-hmm. When So that second act is all Sarah Connor's agenda trying to take control of her fate going after Dyson. And I thought that was phenomenal. Like, I was watching the movie. I was like, how long has it been since yeah. I've seen the liquid metal guy? Mm-hmm. And I, I literally had it, that exact same thought. Wow. I, had that same I never thought. even realized it was like so it like the first act is you know it starts off like right away with terminators going after and it's a complete chase film they get away from him you know in the in the scene that the simpsons spoofed you know he's chasing after the car they blast him and they go away the very next scene starts the second act and she is on a mission to end you know dyson and figure that out because they go to mexico and they get the cachet and and they and she figures out how to go to Mexico. That middle whole arc ends when um, Dyson dies. The cops come, and the Terminator like you know blows away all these cops without killing them. And then that also signifies the third act because now now he's transformed because uh, his face has been exposed as a robot. So now you're like oh. It's on now. So, you know, you're in the end game when, you know, the Terminator's mm-hmm. face is exposed. But also, that's when the T-1000 shows back up on scene again, is the start of that third act at the end of that big action scene when Dyson ends. I, I thought that was crazy. So, it's like the, the first third of the film and the second and the final third of the film are a big chase scene with this big like no fate, but what we make for ourselves act in the center, which is like the heart of the story. And I I think it was just like, it's the perfect sandwich of like crazy, awesome action, crazy, awesome action. There's some good action in the middle too, but the, the liquid metal guy isn't in it. And that's where all of the heart and all of the growth and a lot of like the human like element is. And I just, I found that, fascinating watching it this time with a more critical eye yes yes Mm -hmm. this this movie (laughs) like you you put into words exactly what i've been trying to like oh get out in my points this this movie is a weird wonderful amalgamation between like action sci-fi and philosophy in a way that it's almost like subverted you don't they're like indoctrinating you with all these philosophical ideas that you don't realize because it's all like shotguns and car chases and and there's but there's so much going on oh man and there's there's all these points of uh 
of like determinism and fate and and like you know the way that she's trying to get him to develop and he is developing that way but he's also like adding his own twist in and like trying to teach the terminator these things that like weren't even in like fed to him by his like biological parents you know there there's like so much in this movie that that is under the surface like they don't sell it that way at all but it's all there it's so good and i i like i'm i can't believe i didn't realize this for so long you know it's impressive i love this movie well yeah i feel like that all i mean it kind of goes back to one of the first points i made like that's james cameron you know i think he's made a career of doing that he's mastered this like big budget popcorn cinema regardless of what genre he's operating in but he also has kind of i hesitate to use the word agenda but he has his own you know thoughts and his own kind of um ideas that he's really trying to propagate and trying to get out there and i feel like you saw that in you know maybe less in his initial offerings but i feel like starting with like the abyss onward he really started injecting a lot of that into his films and i feel like terminator 2 is like the prime example of that as you said i mean it is it's very philosophical but it also has a lot to say about the family you know the makeup of a family or what constitutes a family um you know and i don't know i just i feel like once again it, it seems like a much more kind of encompassing film than it actually is in terms of the timeline and what they show. I mean, one of my favorite parts of Terminator 2, like looking back after rewatching it, it was always the future war stuff. And for whatever reason, I always think that that's like a lot bigger chunk of the movie, but it's not. It's like maybe three or four minutes total between all the like the dream sequences and the future sequences and stuff. But it's done so well. You just my mind goes on its own tangent and kind of creates all this stuff just from that you know and i think that's part of the brilliance of james cameron he does a lot of suggesting kind of bringing these themes up and kind of talking about them and maybe not completely dissecting them and doing a thesis on you know determinism but he injects enough of that into the film to where i feel like you can take and run with it and then all of a sudden a lot of what he's trying to do or trying to accomplish makes a lot of sense not only that but it gives you it puts the idea in your mind if you're watching it for, you know, review, like we are watching it for critique, then you have to dig a little bit deeper and you're like, oh, shit, that scene with the minigun was awesome. But also, <laughs> you know, that all of the, just the, the philosophical depths, you know, we've already talked about what does it mean to be human? You know what? You know, nature versus nurture kind of a thing, you know, the the, the burden, the the un, the unholy burden of knowledge, you know, that Sarah has you know, imparted from Kyle Reese in, in T1 to shaping your child. You know this, you know this kid beyond the shadow of a, of a doubt is going to be the savior of humanity. How do you accurately prepare him to fulfill that role? And I, I mean, I guess it's by, you know, brushing aside most of his childhood, but, you know, it's, it, it, it just, what do you need, you know, like, what do you need growing up a ginger best friend you know you just need scott <laughs> farkas to be your best friend you know you just need that awful waffle 
<laughs> you just need that uh you need a Chekhov's um credit card hacking Chekhov's machine. What? If, if they if they if they show a che- if they show a credit card hacking machine in act one, they need to use it by act three. Carter. <laughs> you know, there's like this uh you know, the cliche of like, you know, a, a good hero is usually defined by like having a great villain, right? Mm-hmm. And we've gone on and on talking about this film. We've barely even mentioned the T-1000 liquid metal yep. guy. And like that flies in the face of like a good film or a good hero needs <laughs> a great villain, right? But this is an extraordinary villain. And oh, yeah. I, I think you mean mimetic polyalloy. Thank you yes, very much. I do. I do mean mimetic polyalloy. Um, like, you know, he's awesome. Every scene he in, he is in is awesome. And that was like... Oh, yeah. Right in that like real early '90s, like I think it was T2 and Jurassic Park that really set the stage for modern American, or you know, like filmmaking with like modern technology and things. And you know, I always before thought it was like Jurassic Park, but like you know, later on, not not this viewing necessarily, but before is like no Terminator was was doing some really cool things before like two years before Jurassic Park was. But, um, I mean, that, that was just amazing. Like, when, when he, like, warps into the helicopter as, like, that, like... Yeah. That, I mean, that's classic. That's a classic shot. And then shot. he just tells so, the guy, get out. Right. Yeah. And get imagine out. And that happening does. to you. And just being like, uh, yeah, I have no... I, I, I'm done. I, I've seen it all now. I've mm-hmm. seen a liquid metal man come into my right. helicopter. Because well, that helicopter's pilot's mind was blown just mm-hmm. along with the rest of us at yeah. that at that moment yeah. but yeah yeah i almost feel like having him in for that middle third would have raised the budget another 40 million dollars <laughs> <laughs> it was a fiscal decision yeah, yeah. but it, but it, it really worked like that's where you get all the heart it of does the, it, of yeah the film. it it absolutely worked a lot well yeah. I, I was gonna 100 sorry no go ahead bill you're right. Anyway, um, no, I was gonna say about uh, what is it, Robert Patrick? Is that his name? Yeah, okay. the one and only Robert Patrick. Yeah, when he yeah. when he, he was in Wayne's World. Yes, he was, and it's a very important role in Wayne's World, uh, too, right? Um, but uh, no, I was gonna say one one of the things that I noticed about Robert Patrick, you know, where where Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of played the the robot, you know, in T one, Robert Patrick kind of brought this like sitcom dad. To, you know, like to like this old 50s sitcom dad to like, wow, that's a swell bike, you know, like and he he plays it in Mm -hmm. such a way that you're just like it's it's such a good way of spinning the sort of like, okay we have to actually be seem human while also murdering humans. So it's like it's like it's it's this incredible like little development that I saw, even if it's not, not exactly a character development. It's kind of a cool like little tidbit that i might have not noticed before yeah like how he's portraying the foster mom when uh, during the phone call and he's still like making dinner oh, and also yeah exactly exactly and also he's like i've gotta i, well, I, I still I gotta I make must dinner infiltrate family what if he comes by i have to make dinner um no but i uh must make beef stew <laughs> he's just chopping up children you don't see his you arm see. when he's cutting <laughs> 
you don't see no i i uh what i was gonna say also at the end on the same vein when he's imitating uh sarah connor and she's just like you have to help me you have to help me and it's like and then like john is just like yeah this is bullshit and then she comes up from behind and he's like okay yep i was right <laughs> shoot <laughs> or Jason, sorry. No, I, I to that end too. I mean, that was what I was going to bring up is actually that scene where uh, he calls uh, John. Or I'm sorry, I don't know if he calls John or if John's calling home to the foster family. I think John calls home, right? Um, yeah, that yeah. that always really bothered me as a kid when I was watching the movie like so young because it's like you know they they kind of uh, I feel like in in the film established that the foster family is not they're not like the best you know but but it doesn't necessarily. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't go out of its way to say they're like horrible, horrible people or anything, but ju- just the casual way that, uh, you know, he completely just murders the family in the kitchen. Um, that always kind of got me because as you said, I think Robert Patrick, he, he plays the character with a certain degree of kind of like, there's a bit of that goofiness in there, but in a lot of ways, the T 1000s even colder, and and more mechanical than the T eight hundred than Arnold's character, just in the way that you you can't. I mean, to an extent, I guess you can't bargain or reason with Arnold's character in the first film either. But something about the T one thousand was always more scary to me, just because he's so unrelenting. He was so powerful, um, and and just you know really had apart from the end no limitation. I mean, just the the thought of that at least the T-800 or the variants thereof in the first two films were, you know, they're mechanical, you know, it's, it's, it's a tangible thing, but that whole idea of the liquid metal, you know, mimetic alloy was just so like in, in 95 or six or seven or whenever the hell I watch it for the first time, that was just so horrifying. <laughs> I don't know. So like a big part of it too, is like, you know, in the, in the first Terminator, he's an unstoppable man, Right. Like he's a dude that doesn't die and he's strong and he won't stop. But with the technology of both the Terminator and the filmmakers, you never know what next to expect. And this is the most classic example of show don't tell in script writing and filmmaking that I've seen. Like he doesn't tell them, oh, you know, he can turn his hand into knives until after he's already done it. Like, you know, he doesn't tell him that he can turn into a floor. That scene maybe is the creepiest thing, like even more than like the knives and stuff. But he the dude like lays flat as this checkered floor and then Mm -hmm. rises up. And when he rises up, he's not even himself. He's the shape of the guy that stepped on top of him. Like (laughs) that is crazy. So like you never know what next to expect of this guy. And I think that makes him so much creepier than just like the unstoppable killing machine, like the the dude that won't die when he gets shot. Like I thought that was so cool. And I think that again, like the lack of exposition in this film helps it so much. And, and again, like, you know, they didn't say what Sarah Connor does for the last 10 years. They don't say how dangerous the T 1000 is just that he is incredibly dangerous and I think that 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 helps this film so much. It's the fear of the unknown, and it's it's like, what 
can I expect to happen to me next? It's funny that you say that there's a lack of exposition in this film. There is a fuck ton of exposition in this film, but that just goes to show wow. that it's done tastefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, I know Mark is, has a big the, thing about exposition. It's definitely done tastefully. Mark's, Mark's biggest thing in the world is exposition. Well, I watch a lot of anime and like, I literally call That's what characters I mean. exposition son because in the first episode, there's always someone who's just like, Oh, it's funny to see you, you here, Prince, Son of the Lord, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, why would you... You're, you're talking to oh, him in a familiar... Oh, here comes the kid with the dead parents, Yeah, you you're know? talking here to him in a familiar manner. Like, power. you obviously know who he is. Why are you calling him that way? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, they, do, they do a lot of things in this movie that you can see other movies in the last 30 years have replicated and not done as well. And it's impressive that, like film has developed so much and they still try to do the same things but like that a movie can succeed so well at it you know way ahead of the other these other films that are like trying and failing at doing it i don't know it's always great but uh i think the scene oh sorry no go ahead i was gonna say the scene that really exemplifies like the appropriate weighted exposition dump is that you find out naturally that miles bennett dyson is the one who is responsible for skynet and then when they're telling him they don't spend five minutes explaining to him that he's the one who causes skynet they literally jump cut it to his reaction Mm -hmm. yeah right john connor's like show him terminator pulls his arm like the arm skin off and then the next scene is them around the kitchen table and he's like what the fuck do i do yeah which I love that that's a monologue from Sarah Connor at that point when they're just sitting on the mm-hmm. table. Exactly. You just see him reacting. We, we've already heard it. We don't need to hear exactly. it. We don't yeah. need to see him hearing it. Yeah. yeah. That Perfect. stuff like that I think is very tastefully done because you don't need to sit there and mm-hmm. hear the story over again. So. Right. They they do a great job too at uh, comedic relief in that moment because she's she gets all like uh, action movie monologue, and then John son, just says, "Mom, shut up." Yeah, this is mm-hmm. this isn't exactly constructive at this point. Like, that's great, and that exactly correct. Mm-hmm. Like, but she's seen all this shit, and is trying to just literally save humanity. But it, it to everyone else, it's just like, uh, all right. <laughs> but we're already solving it. Like, we're here. We've not killed this guy, and he's looking to help us. Like, they have they have some great comedic relief that is not ham-fisted. I, I know Colin loves that term, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry, they do, they do some... They, <laughs> they do it so many times in this movie where you're like, this this is like in a normal movie. I don't know what it is about the... Maybe it's the framing that they don't do such like tight shots or like weird reactions, but the the like comedic relief is so natural in this movie. It's not bathos, which I... You know, is a term that I've... Th- thrown around especially when reviewing uh star wars movies disney star wars movies I, i'm sorry um just where the humor is completely ill-fitting for the scene at hand you know when you know uh poe dameron is crank calling hucks at the beginning of uh the worst star wars movie um <laughs> that makes no sense and is weirdly not contextual but when john connor is developing a rapport with his, you know, killer robot dad 
it works. Mm. Like he's like explaining like it, I, this and it makes it feel like it, it almost makes it feel like this is like a kid's movie. Like or like a, like this is a, like a 90s kid's movie where we were actually able to handle shit, you know? It's it's not like, you know, and maybe maybe I'm just uh maybe I'm a 31-year-old boomer yeah, here. Yeah, maybe. You know, like, ah, goddamn kids can't handle a fucking killer robot, you know, back in my day, you know, the, they still had murder and death, but the kid, the kid told them don't kill. So, you know, there's not a lot of death in it. My dad said, go get the minigun out of the the shed in the backyard. We'll go take care of this shit on our own. Boy, come bring old painless out here. I was going to say, I think my whole personality is bathos. I just, I, I think it is. Like, I just, inappropriate it humor is. is my jam. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm wearing my two Definitely million sunblock, so it doesn't really bother me. Got like, it. Yeah. Right. I can't yeah, yeah. have a bad day. That, that was like, so there are a couple of like, this is a, a, a pretty good movie but watching it now like 30 years later there are definitely some real like 90s cheesy lines like when sarah connor's like uh anybody not wearing two million sunblock is gonna have a real bad day got it like that's the 90th <laughs> thing ever yeah and then at the very very <laughs> end of the film like when uh when the terminator looks at everybody he's like haggard and half robot and he's like i need a vacation yeah oh like, my god <laughs> <laughs> i'm like where the fuck did that come from Fun fact, this is literally out of the it's 90s, literally like still saying that but um yeah it's <laughs> literally fucking like it's um it's like 90s dialogue the movie the, yeah. the kid teaches him hasta la vista baby right yeah, if you really want to shine them on, I still have these. Shine them on. But well, the 90s shine dialogue became 90s dialogue because yeah, of that. That's where I was going to go with that. Could right? Chicken and the Egg. Very easily chicken and the Egg. Chicken and the Egg. ending yeah. or uh, an alternate ending to this movie. Where he shines them on with Hasta La Vista, baby. No, it's 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 uh, here. I'll read it. The extended edition features an alternate ending, which shows an elderly Sarah Connor watching an adult John, who is a U.S. senator, playing with his daughter in a Washington playground in the year 2029, narrating that Judgment Day never happened. Yeah, I think I remember. I, no, I remember seeing, seeing or hearing that, about it, but it was after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been way after the fact. It would have probably been internet probably would have been era. For the best, if that was just the end of the Terminator series, but yeah, yes, yes. But money as, as T three exhibited. Well, I'm still hoping. Yeah, T three actually was do like a worst, fifth reboot now, and finally just fucking bring back Edward Furlong. They're gonna do it. It's gonna be like maybe 2025. It's gonna come out. It's gonna be called. It's actually gonna be Terminator Two and a Half. And it's going to be. It's actually awesome. be a really awkward movie. It's just going to be uh, Michael Bain and Edward. <laughs> it'll be a road trip. Road, uh, it'll be a road movie. Just a road trip. It's going to be a road, a road trip, trip movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Fuck no. you, Dan. And, and fucking, uh, John Connor is going to be some like haggard coke addict in his forties who's like addicted to like TikTok videos. <laughs> TikTok. It's going to be fuck you, Dan. Michael Bain just like pulls off his belt. And just, starts just like old grizzled Michael Bain. He's got a five o'clock shadow. Just wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt, like. <laughs> I just imagine. I just from what you just said, Andrew. I just imagine like John Connor's kid in the back of the car going like, "Shit!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> shut up, you. Nobody likes your memes. 
I should have let them blow the planet up. (laughs) I know. I absolutely know that you all could keep talking about this movie for another hour if I let you. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I can't. Um, I still got to edit this. uh, So I think we're going to go around the table here. Uh, We're going to finish with Aaron. Um, On whether or not this is good sci-fi or bad sci-fi. Do we even need to do this? Uh, I mean, we, we can just do, do a it. quick wrap. Every time we, every time we ask, oh. every time we ask if we should do it, Mark ends up saying three words, and then everybody else has a full paragraph. And he's always mad about Thank it. you for saying so, that because I was about to say mad that. About it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't like, I like keeping mine about one or so two sentences. Eloquent. I do. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, we, whether or not we believe it's good or bad sci-fi, I think we should all say our piece. Yeah, that's, that's very fair. Yeah. Final thoughts. All right, mm-hmm. Mark Botka. <laughs> But still, say uh, good sci-fi. Good thought. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. thought. Thank, thank you for saying that, Aaron or uh, uh, Miller. I don't know why I said Aaron. Uh, uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for saying that, Miller, because I, that literally does happen every time. We're like, do we even need every to say good sci-fi time. or bad sci-fi? I'm like, yep, yeah, it was good. Okay, thank you. And then everyone else says like this super eloquent, like two mm-hmm. paragraph long thing. They're, yeah, and I'm just like. All right, well, it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, just shine the audience All on. right, that, that was no, your paragraph, right. Mark. You're done. On to the next one. There you go. I'm way more impressed with this movie than I had even thought that I was going to be. I mean, it it has been a staple of my life, and I knew I was going to enjoy watching it, but it was not only... <laughs> not only was it not... Like, oh, okay, I can see the tropes in it now. It it was straight up still better than most of the movies that come out now that would consider themselves action movies. And I, I would barely even call it an action movie. It's There are so many action elements, but it is a horror movie. It's a sci-fi movie. Uh, oh, man, I feel like I had a bunch more... <laughs> words to describe it before but i have also had like four beers since the last time that i was uh writing you know pontificating on my notepad about this movie um it it, like it wears so many hats and it wears them all well and none of it feels like forced it's really impressive for the time that it came out and how formative it was of movies after it it doesn't watching it doesn't feel like what was it? Uh, Secret Window and like uh, uh, Dreamcatcher. I've watched like in in the last year. Both those movies, you're like, okay, I can see, I can see the the things that they set up that a lot of movies follow now. And like, even though I know that they are like formative of what came from them, it still feels like weirdly forced. Like I expected those things to happen. Watching this movie, you don't get any of that. You just enjoy it. It's still good, and none of it feels forced or weird or like, oh, I saw that coming. Like it all, it it just feels good. It feels natural. All the characters feel real. The dialogue feels real. Not like even the like cheesy lines are like of their time, and they feel you know he was teaching the Terminator those lines and things like that. They don't feel forced or dated. I don't know. I, I enjoy I enjoy it through and through. Great, great, great time. Great time. 
<laughs> great time. Is this a good time? Great time or bad time? Right. There's having Thank a good time, and then there's having a great time. <laughs> Jason. Yeah, so I won't keep it long, fellas. Um, I think I would put this in magnanimous plus territory. I think this is a phenomenal film, always has been. As I said, it's kind of weird. I always forget that it came out in 91, and I came out in 91. So it's uh, interesting that uh, the movie kind of has grown with me, and I am as old as it, and it is as old as I am. But I think this is a prime example uh, to go with everything we've kind of said over the last hour, like having your cake and eating it too. It's a great film in so many ways. Uh, effects are great. Um, it's an action spectacle, but it also has a lot of those heady kind of ideas. And it, I feel like it asks a lot of questions we talk about. Colin's old ephemeral, you know, what does it mean to be human? Does it grapple with that? It absolutely does. But it also says so much more. So phenomenal movie. We'll always love it. Uh, and uh, definitely, if it probably hasn't been ruined through and through for you by the end of this podcast, which you're now listening to, you should go see it. It's a great movie. All right. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Bill Jarvis. Oh, okay. I'm here already. Okay. Uh, I'd say it's... No, because I'm used to Ben like just crushing it right before me. Um, so I was just going to say it's it's great sci-fi. I really love it. And it's something that I can come back to. And there was a lot of themes that I didn't pick up on as, you know... I always love coming back to being a parent. Um, <laughs> it's like there were a lot of themes about that that kind of like you know, stood out for me while also being like incredible in terms of technology and incredible in terms of philosophy of technology, like a philosophy of computers. And like and it's it's interesting to see these sorts of ideas come from. And like like Jason, you said you were. You came out at the same time as this movie. I was actually, uh, I was actually conceived during the fall of the Soviet Union. So we got, uh, we got basically the same thing. <laughs> okay, no, but anyway, sorry, that was so weird. I was take it out, Miller. Take it, take it no, all. Take great. out Bill's whole no, no, thing no. today. No, 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 no. Because no. <laughs> fuck you. Bill's responsible for bringing down the burden. I've got him. I've got Can him I in the in my uh, like my existence. Forget, forget Hasselhoff. It was Bill Jarvis mm-hmm. that brought down the Berlin Wall. You're welcome. I've existed as long the, as the world couldn't handle uh, Soviet wall. communism and Bill Jarvis in the same uh, the same plane. So something had to give. That's true. There had be there. It's the law of the conservation of awesomeness yeah, there it is. um but i was uh yeah no no i really loved it and i think it's great sci-fi that's my piece thank you very much <laughs> thank you bill uh, andrew ws charles miller all of my all of my uh middle middle names and initials um i i've been i spent the last couple of seconds of uh bill's uh piece looking up different various top 100s lists and uh, somehow Terminator 2 is not on any of the ones that I've seen, which is just a massive disservice. I mean, if it were on any of them, it wouldn't have been high enough. You know, this is. So so one of the things uh, I'm actually going to hopefully uh, Aaron wasn't going to say anything like this because I'm going to crib it from him. Um, so it kind of piggybacks on what Jason said, but in beer judging, especially uh, BJCP, there is what's known as a prime example of the style. So basically like, oh, you know, they'll like the, the score sheet will, or, or the, or the, um, the, uh, style guidelines will name drop some like primary examples of the style for beer. This is a prime example of the style for 
action sci-fi like in like the in the annals of history like people would be like oh yeah terminator 2 you know the the sci-fi action sci-fi movie you know uh magnanimous plus 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 is you know kind of the the going uh top tier rating we can give so definitely full full marks for uh t2 there all right thank you uh, andrew um aaron i'm gonna briefly say my piece and then i'm gonna throw it over to you for the final word um uh, miller i love that what you said there when you said like uh I guess just talk about how important this movie is towards the genre and like it, it should be high on a, a top 100 list or in a top 10 list. Who knows? Uh, I think it, it really falls into line with how important we'll say Star Wars is to the genre, how important 2001 is to the genre. Uh, we finally get to T2 and th- this is like a huge watermark in terms of sci-fi, um, getting the budget that it deserves and actually seeing what a good director can do with a good budget and make a a good movie. Um, answers a lot of questions, asks even more questions. Um, really awesome. Loved it. Great sci-fi, great movie. Yeah, I guess that's it. All right, Aaron, give us the final thought. All right. I like I like the term action sci-fi for this film, and I think action does deserve to be first. Um, I think that this as an action movie, I you know, it, it is so heady. I think it's an action movie first with a lot of sci-fi overtones. Um, and that really elevates it as more of a heady, intelligent action movie. And I think it really set the stage to for uh, action movies that followed it. You know, it, it went away from the big, dumb, like, shoot 'em up like, action movies to more intelligent, thoughtful action movies. Um, this one with more of, a, more of a sci-fi skin. So I think it is tremendous, like, can't-be-beat action movie. But as far as sci-fi, like, it asks those questions. I think it's a, a great, like, maybe introduction to sci-fi but maybe like a a solid good like as far as like i've had you know conversations with you colin on like what makes a great like sci-fi movie and everything i think that it introduces those elements really well and it's it's a good for a casual or or like new to sci-fi viewer or a layman but it doesn't yeah 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 he's it's the layman it's the layman it's not the expert that's right so um i think it is tremendous as an action sci-fi movie it can't be beat as a sci-fi i think there are better sci-fi movies better movies that explore sci-fi themes more in depth but it can't be beat as an action movie and i don't think it can be beat as an action sci-fi all right very well said thank you very much aaron um there you have it, folks. That is our take on uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I, I can't believe we waited this long to finally do it. I'm really glad that we finally did it at this point. I'm really glad that Aaron got to join us for this. Uh, it's very insightful. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. This was your pick. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the YouTube series Taste for Adventure. Uh, as they said at the beginning, they have a ton of of content coming your way already planned out as far as what you said october right 
Yeah, we, uh, we try to put out an episode every week, so uh, lots of content coming. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, we do it. Right. We do it here at uh, Cross Section. I, I couldn't imagine having a cereal that goes every week. <laughs> I just can't imagine. Yeah, that. well, <laughs> it's wild. I mean, that there's, a, there's a difference in the level of production that has to go into this mm-hmm. in a, a YouTube series, so... Um, yeah, literally, I fall asleep half the time while editing the we episode. Can <laughs> no, oh, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah, not my Deadman's break. I get no, a solid hour and forty-eight minutes for you to edit, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, ain't, ain't no uh, rest for the wicked. I don't know the fuck. Right, whatever. Yeah, my, my <laughs> money grow doesn't grow on trees. All right. <laughs> All right. Now nah, this is like the uh, this is like the um, this is like the coffee stout episode for me like i'm, I'm gonna edit the hell out of this one i just completely remove bill <laughs> <laughs> he's gone all right folks so just to give you a rundown on what's coming up uh next so you guys can prepare um assuming the schedule is correct i hope it is next week we're covering the film sphere Ooh. God damn, I've been waiting to do this for Ooh, like... you don't say. Since we started this podcast. So. Jason's surprised. Gotta dust off the old DVD of that one. Hell yeah. yeah. We haven't done The Abyss, right? When are we going to cover Cube? Hmm? We haven't done The Abyss, right? No. Okay. No. I also want to add that to the list. Okay, anyways, yeah. Sphere, next week. Watch out for it. It's coming. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. So, hasta la vista, baby. Hey, and don't forget, come with me if you want to brew at Taste for Adventure on YouTube.